right, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. First Thessalonians chapter 5 as we finish our series in the book of Thessalonians. And uh, again, as Matt mentioned, I was in Virginia all week at the International Mission Board uh, going through a mission college, and I uh, just uh, appreciate the opportunity to go and learn and uh, sit under a fire hydrant worth of information for a few days. And, and uh, the first night as we got there, oh, we were asked a question, and I'll go ahead and ask you the same question. Why are you here? <laughs> and it was kind of one of those, well, I'm going to answer it one of a couple ways. Uh, someone signed me up for this, or uh, someone brought me to this, or I feel like this is where I need to be at this time. And, and uh, he said, that might be how you're answering this question, but I'm not talking about why are you here. I'm asking why are you here in general? Why are you here? If the Lord has not returned, which we're living in light of his return, if he's not returned yet and he's not taken you yet, why are you here? There is still purpose in your life for the gospel. And so why does God have you here? As we look at the idea of the gospel being presented to us, we have an obligation to the nations. As Paul would write in Romans chapter 1, verse 14, I am under obligation both to Greek and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. I am under an obligation because I have been called to faith by Jesus, and that means I've been called to follow Jesus, which means there is things in my life that I must do. I'm under obligation. For all that he's done for me, I am under obligation. The next verse, verse 15, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. There's an eagerness because time is short. Life is but a vapor. We are not promised our next breath, and neither is the person that sits next to us. I'm eager. As I sat under one missionary this week who spent 15 years in India, he said, as, as I would arrive, as, as mission teams would arrive, I would take them to the crematorium the very first morning. I would take them to the edge of the water, the water's edge, where they were burning bodies. And I would let them smell, and I'd let them experience and I would tell them, every person you speak with this week, this is their eternity. Eagerness. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. So if I am obligated, if I am eager, because I know time is short, then I cannot be ashamed to open my mouth because it is the power of God to save souls. So why are you here? We look at a world that we know is fallen, we know is full of sin, we know that it's corrupt, and we get consumed by conversations and thoughts. We talk about the Ukrainian crisis, we talk about China and its regime, and how it's... Um, a communist effort to snuff out the church. And listen, I talked to one missionary who was forced off the mission field when COVID hit in 2020. He had been in China for 25 years. And he was working with the local church there to reach unreached people groups in China. And he said, I have so many to reach. And he started that in 2016, and they had reached some 20 or 30 before he was made to exit. And he said, I just got reports from the church in China that they only have like 50 groups left to reach. The church is thriving. We look at inflation, and we all talk about it. 
You know how much eggs are? <laughs> I like how eggs is like this, the, the, you know, eggs, man. Like that was the thing. Like that pushed me over. We talk about political upheaval. We talk about addictions and human trafficking. We talk about abortions. We talk about all of these great problems. They're symptoms of the greatest problem. Lostness. Have you received Jesus Christ as Lord? You're obligated. You should be eager and not ashamed. So why are you here? It's just a piece of what I had to sit under for a week, right? So you can imagine what is the mission of the church in light of his return? What is the mission? We are called to be a church of baptized believers in Jesus Christ who are committed to each other, to be the body of Christ to one another, to meet regularly and to carry out the functions and the missions of the biblical church. We are called to this. What is the mission of the church? Well, we say here the mission is to be Christ community commissioned, Christ-centered, community committed, and commission commanded. We have shifted our focus to be Christ-centered in all that we sing and all that we teach. That's why we have Christ-centered exegetical teaching and discipleship. We've sought to provide opportunities for our church to be community-committed, whether it be on Sunday mornings in a Sunday school class or a community group that happens twice a year, uh, to be in a men's or a women's gathering or in small groups of next generations. It's an effort to move beyond the walls of this building to build a community of believers who are equipped for the good work. And so now, we need to further establish our obedience to the Great Commission as a body of believers. Last year, we connected with a North American Mission Board church planner in Cincinnati, and we've started to do a work with them, partnering with them, and we're going to continue to do that this year. But now we need to look to further engage our old partnerships and some new partnerships overseas. We need to be a church on mission, and we can only be a church on mission if we are individually obedient to the Great Commission here. As David Platt says, transformation doesn't happen because of aviation, I think is what he said. You don't become something else when you get on a plane and land in another country. It's who you are here that's repeated there. So the mission of the church in light of his return is to glorify God. I'm going to give you the easy answer. Why are you here? To glorify God. Now, my family, we, uh, we're movie buffs. We love movies. And we, if you get us in a conversation, we can probably quote movies. We'll talk to you about movies. We're just those people. And I don't know how that makes you feel about us, but it's what you get. And uh, every Christmas, we decide that there's going to be a, a family movie that we go see. And we go together and we watch a movie. And then uh, this year, we decided to watch all the Mission Impossibles. I don't know why we decided that, but we just decided that we were going to watch them all as a family. And there's this point in every movie where he says, your mission, should you choose to accept it? You remember this part? And then his glasses blow up or a letter like dissipates or something. I don't know. Your mission, should you choose to accept it? Paul writes it to the church in Thess Thessalonians. And he says this, verse 12, if you're with me. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. 
and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath, therefore, before the Lord, to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, God, that you would instill in us a desire, a passion, a drive, a flame. Ignite it to glorify you and to glorify you among the nations, among our neighbors, among our co-workers, among our family members. Help us to understand the obligation and the eagerness that is before us and help us to not be ashamed of the gospel. Give us boldness by the power of your spirit to proclaim your goodness and your grace, your love and your mercy. In Christ, amen. The mission of the church in light of his return is to collaborate and cooperate with one another. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and to admonish you and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Paul writes to this church who is anxiously awaiting the return of Christ. We've, we've seen that in the previous chapters, that they are they're consumed with the idea of when is Jesus returning. I don't want to miss out on his return, and I have loved ones who have passed away, and I don't want them to miss out on his return. And so they are dealing with persecution and a culture that is violently coming at them, and they are now given this instruction. Paul reminds them that they have lives still to live to glorify God. They have a mission to accomplish and a practical instruction that begins with how to live as a body of believers together. Why? Because in order for the church to accomplish its mission outside of the walls, it must first be healthy inside the walls. For us to ever take the gospel beyond these walls, we should be healthy inside these walls. So collaborate, first thing. Work jointly on an activity, especially to produce or create something. We are to collaborate. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. There is a statement here that shows that Paul recognizes that there are official leaders in the church. There are elders that were set up in all the churches that Paul went to. And this is one of the first letters that was written in the New Testament by Paul. And so he is saying, like, listen, there are those that have been placed among you that are there to admonish you in the Lord. And there's to be a clear collaboration between you and the leadership for the ministry and the mission of the church. As Richard Phillips puts it in his commentary, it is essential that Christian leaders demonstrate that their authority is in the Lord by always explaining the biblical basis or logic behind actions that are taken. Church members are, 
will not always agree with judgments that are made, but they should be able to see that their elders are doing their best to act in accordance with Scripture. I'm going to speak on behalf of the elders. It is our desire to lead you scripturally, to not place on you a, a yoke or a burden that would be a religious burden, but to lead you in such a scriptural, Christ-centered way that it frees you to worship and to glorify God. This is done through admonishment. Admonishment is always closely tied to the work of preaching and teaching and shepherding. Scripturally, it carries the idea of, of taking the word of the Lord to the people in a way that it can be heard and received for the changing of people's lives. As Tim Shelton, who was a missionary translator, said, he was struggling to find a word for obedience for the native language. And so as he arrived back to his home, he was there and he whistled for his dog. And I'm not going to whistle. I don't, can't whistle good. And one of the natives were there. I heard that. And um, one of the natives was there, was there and he watched the dog come running right straight to his side. And the native said, that dog is all ear. And he said, that's it. That's the word for obedience. That when you hear the word of God, when you read the word of God, you're all ear. I'm all in. I'm running to the side of the Father because he's got something for me. The word of God is to be taught, listened to, studied, and meditated upon with attentive obedience. Faith in Jesus involves getting up from a place of sin and following him. It is our goal as elders and leaders to watch over you. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Sorry, that's just super heavy. Let them do this with joy. Not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. We collaborate together. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I read these to you to tell you that the church is to collaborate because the ministry is now placed on you. As I seek to lead and guide you and shepherd you with the scriptures and with the word of God and to expound it word by word, verse by verse, it is now placed upon you to be ministering hands, to do the work of ministry, to do the work of missions amongst yourselves as we then go out from these walls. So we collaborate. A church that is living in light of his return is one that has a collaborative mission and ministry where shepherds and teachers equip the saints to be ministers to each other as we all seek to attain a unity of faith. So cooperate. Collaborate, now let's, let's cooperate. Cooperating with one another to work jointly towards the same end. Did you know that we're all on the same team? Sometimes we have to remind ourselves of that. Verse 13, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. As Mark Howe says, nothing destroys a church like 
contentiousness. I had a friend who used to refer to people as EGRs. You know what EGRs are? They're extra grace required. Those are some, oh, those are EGRs. You can steal that. Just don't say it about me. You know, it's easy to be at peace with people that you agree with. It's easy in the church to find a little group of people that you think all the same way with. You have all the same preferences. It's really easy to be on the same page with them. But sometimes it's hard to cooperate with others that don't see the same way you do. Who don't agree with certain decisions that are being made. You see, honestly, in our culture, the greatest threat against the church is not from without, it's from within. Ungodly morals creeping in, unruly behaviors unaddressed, unrighteous attitudes that go unchecked, inappropriate conversations and divisive schemes that happen, these all work against the health of the church. And how can you be a healthy mission when you're not healthy inwardly? So here's the ministry. The mission of the church in light of his return is to counsel, console, and care for one another. This is what it looks like. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. This is the ministry of the church. Counsel, give guidance, direction, and correction. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. This idea of admonish the idle is to warn and reprove the idle and the apathetic. Disobedient idleness is a sin. Well, I'm not doing anything bad. I mean, I'm still going through all the motions. I'm not failing to do certain things that I know that I'm supposed to be doing. But are you idle? Paul tells the church that they are to hold each other accountable to the mission and to the personal responsibility of growing in their relationship with the Lord and one another. Did you know that there's times where we have to admonish the idol among us? Hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Hey, why haven't you been as involved as you once were? It's not that we're getting on to people, it's that we care. Console, comfort someone. Encourage the faint-hearted. So we encourage the faint-hearted, those who are easily discouraged. I like that Paul makes the contrast here between the idle and lazy believer, the one who's just kind of like, well, I don't feel like doing it anymore, and then the one who is not doing things because they're so discouraged. They're beat down. They're hurt. They're frustrated. They're going through a struggle right now. They've got fears. They're dealing with a pain that we do not even know about. That's the thing about depression, isn't it? Makes you just not want to get out of bed. You ever been there? I just don't want to talk to anybody. I just don't think I can go. Imagine a ministering body that encouraged the faint-hearted. We can't pretend that we have it all right, but we can be a church that laps, wraps loving arms around one another when we're discouraged and hurting and depressed. So we need to care 
This is the ministry of the church, to care, to get provision for the health, welfare, maintenance, and protection of someone. A caring church, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Help the weak. I like how it literally means to lay hold of, with the idea of not letting go those who are struggling with sin. I'm not going to let you go. I see, I see you wandering off the path, and I will not let you go. This is the ministry of the church. Not just the ministry of the pastors and elders. This is the ministry of the church that we see people as they begin to wander off into sin, and we snatch them, and we say, you're not going that direction. Leon Morris puts it, it is good for weak souls to know that there are others who are with them who will cleave to them in the difficult moment, who will not forsake them. The weak are not to be simply abandoned, but made to feel that they belong, that they have a strong, they have strong comrades in Christ. Oh, we have much to do in counseling and consoling and caring. And so how do you do it? You got to be patient. Because people will rub the Jesus right off of you, won't they? Be patient. Because people need forgiveness. People need grace. You know why? You need forgiveness. You need grace. Don't you? Amen. Let's be a body that does that. Let's be a body that doesn't write people off, but we love people. We care for them. We're patient with them. We're going to hold on to them. We're not going to let you go. We're going to encourage you when you're discouraged and when you're depressed. We're going to admonish you when you start, you know, being lazy. As Jesus said, pay attention to yourselves in Luke 17, 3 through 4. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive them. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Seek to do good. Our ministry is to always seek to do good and to not get even. You ever want to get even with somebody? Oh, I'll show them. Oh, they got what, oh, they, got what they had coming. Serves them right. You ever say these things in church? Hmm. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and for everyone and to everyone. I say these because this is the ministry of the church. And you know what it is? It's the ministry of Jesus. The ministry of Jesus is now carried on in the life of the church. You know why? Because Jesus admonishes the idol. Doesn't he? When you get lazy, the spirit comes along, convicts. Spurs you on. In Luke 9, 62, he said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Keep going. Jesus encourages the faint-hearted, come to me all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says that to people who are just worn out by religion, who are discouraged because they can't do it. Jesus helps the weak. And man, we are so thankful for this, right? Romans 5, 6, for while we were still weak, 
the right time Christ died for the ungodly. There was nothing in you that he said, oh, that's pretty good. You were weak, lost in sin, separated from God, and it was through Jesus Christ that you have been reconciled. This is the ministry of the church, is the ministry of Jesus. So the mission of the church in light of his return is to commit and consecrate with one another. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So as a church, commit to spiritual growth. Here this January, you might have made a lot of commitments. You're not going to call them resolutions. They're, they're just changes, right? They're just commitments. I'm going to try this for a while. Commit to spiritual growth. Give attention to spiritual disciplines both personally and corporately. Listen, it's great to have a quiet time. It's great. But what do you do with it? It's corporate. You're called to the church. You're called to live out your faith corporately. As we grow personally, it goes out corporately. So he says rejoice always. Rejoice always, not in circumstances, but in Christ. 1 Peter 1, 8 through 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Rejoice always. And I'm going to tell you this. Rejoice always because of Christ. Because of Christ. There's not one moment that you can't look at your life and say, man, rejoice in Christ. The work is done. I am his. I am his. I'm awaiting his return. And until that day comes or until he takes me, what am I doing here? Rejoicing in Christ, his finished work on our behalf. If we rejoice in Christ, then you know what we're going to do? We're going to pray without ceasing. We're going to commune with the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants to hear from you. Did you know that? 1 John 5.14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 1 Peter 3.12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. If you are covered in the righteousness of Christ, listen, his ears are open. Luke 11.9-10, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. I like how Mark Batterson puts it. God has determined that certain expressions of his power will only be exercised in response to prayer. Do you believe in prayer? Do you believe that God hears you? Simply put, God won't do it unless you pray for it. We have not because we ask not. 
the greatest tragedy in life is the prayers that go unanswered because they go unasked. Let me ask, are you praying without ceasing? Are you giving thanks in all circumstances? Again, not in circumstances, or in circumstances, not for circumstances. Giving thanks in all circumstances, knowing that he is sovereign, knowing that he has providence, that he's working all things out. And do not quench the Spirit. Simply put, avoid any activity that would diminish the work of the Spirit in your life. I'm going to ask you a question. In your life right now, are there habits and practices that you know are quenching the Spirit's work in your life? Are you participating in things you know that are causing the flame of His Spirit to flicker a little bit? The idea of quench means that you're not taking care of, the, of a lit candle. You know, if you, you light a candle and you walk too fast, it goes out. Or if you're careless with it, it'll go out. Are you participating in things that you know are causing the flame of His Spirit to flicker? You're just barely there. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Don't ignore, despise, avoid, or reject the preaching and the conviction of the Word of God. How easy is it to hear the Word of God, feel convicted by the Word of God, and then never act on the Word of God? How often does that happen? You know, he's, he's saying prophecies. It's more forthtelling. This is the idea that there is no New Testament at this time. This is one of the first letters written, and so they didn't have a New Testament to go home and do their quiet time with. They didn't have a Bible reading plan to grab out in the lobby. They didn't have those things. So he's saying, listen, when, when people who come in the name of the Lord are coming with the gospel, don't just despise it. Don't reject it. Don't push back the conviction of it. Let it change you. So consecrate corporately. Let sanctification be accomplished through God's sovereignty and our responsibility. Consecrate yourselves. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Your responsibility, your mission, should you choose to accept it, Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. The definition of a disciple. I got this this week. Talking about making disciples who make disciples. How do you know when someone's a disciple? A disciple of Christ is someone with a transformed heart. Transformed heart. This is the work of God. This cannot be done by anything of, your, of yourself. You can't change your heart. The Spirit put a new heart in you. You are a new creation. This is regeneration. This is what God does when believers believe, confess, surrender. There's a moment where it is a work of God. Salvation is God's work in the heart of a believer. Transformed heart, which then leads to a transformed mind. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Romans 12, 2. So then I'm no longer going to think like the world thinks. I've got a transformation of thought where it's a metamorphosis, I'm a new creation, and so I have a new heart, now I have a new mind. I, I don't see things, think about things the way I used to. 
there's been, a, there's been a radical change that has taken place, and that radical change is not moral perfectionism. It's not me learning my do's and don'ts. It's that there is a change that is taking place within me, and now I begin to think differently. Then it moves to a transformed affection. As one missionary said it, this is a new set of taste buds where sins begin to taste bitter, not sweet. Let me ask you, in your relationship with Christ, has sin become so bitter to you? Or are you still finding sin sweet? Transformed heart, transformed mind, transformed affections where I love the things that God loved and I hate the things that God hates. A transformed will. The next step then is not my will, but your will be done. I no longer live for myself. I no longer seek to gratify my flesh and my pleasures, but my will is not in the equation. It's your will be done. I live for a will that is in accordance with his word and that transforms my relationships. Wow. A disciple sees people differently. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Who's my neighbor? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You see a disciple, someone who's just transformed. I am a different person. And it's not because I learned how to be religious. And a transformed purpose to glorify God. Why are you here? glorify God. Does your life glorify God? Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I didn't add that to the list of things the church does. I knew that would make you uncomfortable. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. You are the brother, some 2,000 years later. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.